Thank you, choir. I know that I would much rather listen to you. That was beautiful. I had hoped to walk through the door today, but I think I'll leave that for Pastor George next week. Somebody's got to do it, don't you agree? Well, if you've been with us, uh, our sermon series is called Next Door, and on your bulletin you see some little icons along the bottom. Let me recap where we have been. The first week we saw a seed, and we learned that behind every door there's a work of God. We were challenged to pray for our neighbors. The second week we were challenged to look at the uh, chemical symbol for caffeine. And the chemists among us got excited. Um, and we learned that we are to let those on the outside see what happens on the inside. Last week, the athlete among us was invoked and we learned about ice skating. We learned you grow as you go. And today the symbol is a thermostat. Jesus doesn't reflect our culture, he transforms it. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, open our ears to your word. Open our hearts to the message that you have for us today. We know that you have ordained our gathering and you are present with us. Speak to us, O Lord. Amen. Thermostat. What is that little box or dial on the wall? The one in my office doesn't work, so I do wonder, what is it? <laughs> in some of our homes, November 1st marks the day that we try to hold out to, to use that box. You know who you are. In fact, this week was probably a test for you. That little box, that thermostat, um, what does it do? Well, it regulates the heat in our rooms. The room is warmer. When the dial is working, the room is warmer. And as a result, we are more comfortable. <clears throat> I'm sure if we were in Florida, it would be the opposite. But in Seattle, uh, we turn the heat on and we want that to transform our room. The thermostat doesn't just report the temperature. It has the ability to transform the room. Well, today's message is titled, Putting Formation in Your Community. What happens when we put formation in our communities? I wonder if we define formation as this. Formation is the presence of Jesus. What if it was that simple? What if it was recognizing the presence of Jesus in you and in me, in our midst, in each other? Well, today we will pick up the story of Peter and Cornelius in the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 25 through 43. It's in pa on page 894 in your pew Bibles. And since this is a longer passage, you can remain seated and listen as I read aloud. And at the end, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen, we are reading God's holy word. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him. 
and falling at his feet, worshiped him. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up, I'm only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or even visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now may I ask why you sent me, sent for me? Cornelius replied, four days ago at this very hour, at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon a tanner by the sea. Therefore, I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. So now all of us here are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, this story is getting good. It's a crazy scene here in Cornelius' house. And as we look at today's passage, I want to share a few reflections. I'm going to tell you my three points right now. The first one is God calls communities together. The second one is God gives, God gives the message and he prepares hearts. The third is Jesus at the center of our community will transform us and those around us. Let's look at the first point. God calls communities together. Behind each dream and each vision, behind the trips to and from Joppa, we find something in common, the hand of God. Let's look at the text. Peter left Joppa with six others, joining the three that sent for him, and now he finds himself in front of Cornelius' house. 
and it sounds like a full house awaits him inside. It's not until Peter arrives that we hear him wonder aloud, what's up? Verse 29, we hear Peter ask Cornelius, why did you send for me? I think, did you call this meeting? Did you call this meeting? Peter's team crosses the threshold as Cornelius fills him in on his dream. Two very unlikely groups in one room. Peter's group, perhaps in nervous disbelief that they are in the home of and in the presence of so many Gentiles. Peter, are you sure this is okay? There weren't just religious differences, but cultural and economic as well. Peter, a former fisherman in the home of Cornelius, a Roman centurion. Culture clash, power dynamics, religious difference, they're all there. Have you crossed into such a space as this, where you look around but you're trying not to? wondering about the art choices on the wall, smelling different food smells emanating from the kitchen, asking shoes on, shoes off? Why am I here? Cornelius' answer to Peter's why question is God. God is the reason I sent for you. God has called this meeting. He told me to send for you. God spoke to both of these men, and they listened to his nudge or invitation, and they included their community. God has assembled these two unlikely groups in one room. And Cornelius reminds the room, the Lord is in our midst. Number two, God gives the message and prepares hearts. Let's look at Peter. So many facets to Peter's life and story. He's a fisherman, quick to speak, present for the big moments of Jesus' ministry, and also asleep at some. He's the one who needed to hear things three times before really getting the point. Defender of Jesus, denier of Jesus. Breakfast on the beach, do you love me? Peter, the one on whom God would build his church. Peter, the one whose very being was a reminder of God's amazing grace. Second chances, forgiveness. Cornelius, Acts 10, chapter 10, verse 1, tells us that he's a Roman centurion. He's devout, a God-fearer, generous to those in need, and he prays regularly to God. He wasn't a full-fledged Jewish convert, but he respected and honored Jewish teaching. Cornelius sets the stage. We're here to listen to what the Lord has commanded you to say. And Peter replies, what you've heard about Jesus, those aren't just rumors. It's all true. I've seen so much with my own eyes. I've lived and I've traveled with him. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. God was present with him as he healed and drove out demons. We saw it all. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God, God raised him from the dead. And he commanded us 
to preach and to testify about him. Everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins through his name. I want us to hear this idea and let it sink in that God, God gave Peter the message. When I read verse 33, I become anxious for Peter. Strange house, Gentile house, wondering, am I really supposed to be here? And then Cornelius announces God is present, and he turns to Peter and he says, what has he commanded you to say? I, I'm anxious, because it reminds me of a frequent nightmare that I have. One in which I stand before a group of people, I open my notebook, I look down, and all I see are blank pages. Was that Peter's experience? My mind gets stuck here. What is he supposed to say? What am I supposed to say? And perhaps, perhaps it's this Seattle in me, the temptation to turn the conversation to something else that makes this moment a little nerve-wracking. But Peter, Peter has been down the denial path before. And he's learned that when asked about Jesus, it's best to lean in. 1 John 5, 11, and 12 says this, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has the life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Peter had the words to say. God had given them several times over. This is what I saw. This is how he changed my life. Jesus is the one ordained by God to be the judge over the living and the dead. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. Well, God's words in Peter's mouth landed solidly and squarely in the Cornelius household. I often forget that God is working both sides of the equation. He's providing the words and he's preparing the heart of the listener. God had softened Cornelius' heart to be ready to hear the good news. And the decisions in Cornelius' home that day would send shockwaves around the world. God shows no partiality. Cornelius' Gentile household received the good news of Jesus as their own. Ethnic and religious boundaries were crossed. The good news of Jesus is available to all people. I ask us, are we ready to cross a threshold and proclaim the command that God has given to us? Do we trust that God has prepared the hearts of our neighbors? You, you who know Jesus have the words. We said them today. The Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father, maker almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son. When asked, are we ready to report on what we've experienced in the presence of Jesus? Number three, Jesus at the center of our community will transform us and those around us. 
We'll read more of this next week, but we're beginning to understand the transformation that occurs when the presence of Jesus is in the center of our communities. Individuals are changed. Communities are changed. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God calls us to be transformed. Jesus in our communities won't reflect our culture. He will transform it. When we gather in Jesus' name, we should expect something different. Pastor George said it to me this way uh, this past week. Transformational community gathers not because it's safe, but because we are eager to hear from God. Well, I sensed some urgency in Cornelius' home that day. Peter didn't linger when he was called. He didn't check his calendar for the appropriate time to visit. And Cornelius, he had a room of people waiting. He didn't wait for Peter to arrive and then make a plan and then gather. No, the room was ready, eager to hear from God. Before Peter begins to speak, Cornelius announces God's presence in the room. He orients the room around the Lord, deferring to God's authority. Cornelius is no longer the host. He relinquishes control and the room to God. Well, I know that when I host, that is the last thing I do. I have a very hard time letting go of control. But here we have a Roman centurion who understands God. Knowing that Peter is also under authority, he asks him, what's your command? Both men are stepping out in faith, not fully knowing God's agenda. And the others? Well, I'm guessing that all present were leaning in, eager to hear a message from God. Our text today leaves us with a bit of a cliffhanger. Feel free to read ahead. <laughs> but spoiler alert, the Holy Spirit takes over and this Gentile household enters the family of God. In fact, most of us in this room are here today because of what happened in that room. God's grace is for all of humanity, not just the Jews in Israel, <clears throat> but for all people. Well, what can we learn? For the past couple of weeks and years at UPC, we've been talking about the intersection of formation, mission, and community. We believe that these themes are central to the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. As God makes his appeal through us, like he did through Peter, we think about what it means to be formed, to be on mission, all while being in community with others. And our communities are porous, always allowing, offering an invitation to a neighbor to join us as we join Jesus. When I think of formation, I think less of a body of knowledge and more about development. Peter's faith was formed and developed from some pretty high highs and low lows, but fundamentally, 
he was formed in the presence of Jesus. He could say what he said to Cornelius because of the time spent in the presence of Jesus. Being formed by the presence of Jesus is the process of sanctification, Jesus' transformation in our lives. He is drawing us closer and closer to him. Be holy as I am holy. Well, we know this is true to be this is this is true for us too. The more time we spend with someone, whether it's a friend, a spouse, or a mentor, the more our lives reflect that person. Our words can't help but tell stories of them. We quote them. Our reflection of them is natural and winsome. It bubbles out of us. It's less about what we know and more about whom we've been with. Time spent with Jesus will allow us to naturally reflect him. So our lives, formed in the presence of Jesus, allows Jesus' presence to naturally enter our communities. Sometimes our formation comes from practicing individual practices, contemplative things, things like prayer, silence, reading the Bible, fasting. While other times our formation is best done in community, worship, confession, the scriptures say to confess to one another, service. When our community practices uh, reconcilia reconciliation across racial, economic, political, and cultural lines, we do that together. As, I, as we think about formation in our communities, let's consider how we might center around Jesus Christ, individually and corporately, gathering in his presence. This past year, I've been influenced by two books which point to formation practices. The Deeply Formed Life by Rich Viotis and Emotionally Healthy Discipleship by Pete Scazzaro. Inter interestingly, Pete hired Rich on his staff at New Life Fellowship in Queens, New York. And now Rich is the senior pastor there. These two books, they describe and encourage developing spiritual practices to better seek and enjoy the presence of Jesus. I recommend them to you. This is what Pete Scazzaro writes. An emotionally healthy disciple slows down to be with Jesus, goes beneath the surface of their life to be deeply transformed by Jesus, and then offers their life as a gift to the world for Jesus. I have a challenge for us this week to help us practice the presence of Jesus. My challenge is for you to try sitting in silence twice a day for two minutes. Once in the morning, once in the afternoon. I sort of sound like a doctor, don't I? Take two of these and... In silence, just for two minutes, set an alarm. Focus only on one thing. Focus on Jesus. No agenda, no words. Just seek Jesus in silence. Rich Viotis says this, at the core of silent prayer is the commitment to establish relationship with God based on friendship rather than on demands. Let me read that again. At the core of silent prayer, it is the commitment to establish relationship with God based on friendship rather than demands.
Well, I want to end with a true story in which the presence of Jesus transformed a room, a city, and ultimately a nation. This story reminds me a lot of Peter and Cornelius and is a profound example of how the Holy Spirit might work when people who practice the presence of Jesus seek Him in community. It's the story of the Christian faith taking off in the nation of Korea, often referred to as the Korean Pentecost. In the mid-1800s, Western missionaries brought the gospel to the Korean Peninsula. By 1906, several churches were established, and there were strong relationships with the Presbyterian and Methodist churches in America. American missionary William Hunt describes what happened during a weekend gathering in Pyongyang in January of 1907 in his book, The Korean Pentecost. You see, each year Korean churches would dedicate two weeks to intense Bible study and prayer. They would drop everything and focus during these times on learning more about Jesus. Local pastors and Western missionaries would preach and teach. And on this particular weekend, the leaders prayed that those gathered would confront their hatred toward the occupying Japanese. One night, the message broke through, and men became, began praying in unison. Soon, leaders and community members would walk up to the podium and confess their sin in front of those gathered. They confessed hatred toward the Japanese. They confessed stealing money, wronging another member of the church, jealousy, and on it went, confession after confession, tears, prayer, forgiveness. The impact of the gathering transformed those in attendance, and then word spread quickly to towns around the area of what happened in Pyongyang. Soon churches throughout Korea experienced the Holy Spirit in a similar way. The Christian church grew rapidly. Revivals began in universities, many sensing God's call on their lives to be missionaries and evangelists. In March of 1907, 2,000 began following Jesus. In July of the same year, the number was up to 30,000. By the year 1911, there were 200,000 Koreans following Jesus. And the next year, 300,000. Today, the largest churches in the world are found in Korea, and the Korean church has sent thousands of missionaries around the world. I tell this story because it mirrors what happened in Cornelius' home, communities transformed in the presence of Jesus. Both of these stories are part of our spiritual legacy. Most of us not of Jewish descent, and so the gospel is available. The gospel available to Gentiles means it's available to those of us from Europe, from Asia, from Africa, all people. We all have access to the grace of Jesus Christ. The story of, of Korea touches UPC, as the descendants from this revival are among us today. In the 1950s and 60s, this church, members of this church, sponsored emigrating Korean Christians. Children and grandchildren of those families still worship with us today. And God's Spirit has brought us the friendship and leadership of Pastor Ken Sunu and of Nawan Jang. Nawan's father was sent to us 
sent to the U.S. from Korea as a missionary. And every Sunday afternoon up in Larson Hall, UPC provides a space for a Korean-speaking ministry to college students and young adults. When our communities are transformed by Jesus, we find ourselves in a new church, a new community, which reflects him. These new communities reflect the love, joy, mercy, kindness of Jesus Christ, willing to cross thresholds so that outsiders can become insiders. When Jesus is at the center of our communities, he won't look just like us, like a thermostat. He'll change the conditions in the room so that we look like him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, may we be mindful of your holy gatherings. May we seek your presence so that you might form us. May we trust that you will give us your words to reflect your grace so that your transforming power would draw men, women, and children into your family, your church. Amen.